0: This podcast takes place on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Wax Lyrical pays deepest respect to First Nations people and to Elders past and present, and acknowledges that we are guests here. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. from a few exceptions. Human beings love being around other humans. We love the people we're around and we express it in interesting ways. Well, I find it interesting. So this episode, I decided to explore relationships, the thing that's in between people, tentatively tap-dance around all sorts of relationships. The links between lover and lover, mother and baby, water and land, and so on. There are lots of mini-worlds out there, each with their own pace and space and standards. And each world interacts with other ones. I'm going to focus on the fringes of each world, that fertile, riparian zone where mysterious things happen. My name is Algol Blooms, and this is the Wax Lyrical Podcast. A piece by Melbourne writer CW Haven it's called carrying on
1: the photo comes spinning down from a book settles on the floor and stops to face me I've never seen it before the two of us compressed in a four-inch Polaroid I crouch and look and try to give it a time and place but can't figure it out usually I'd ask Hayley to help She's standing just on the other side of our dismantled bed, but we aren't really speaking, so I lean over and look by myself. A younger version of me, sitting in a chair, two thumbs raised, thin body on a piece of lean. Haley is behind me, hand on hip, blonde hair falling down the front of her. She's holding a piece of half-chewed bread. We look dressed to go out, and pretty pleased. Putting something like a bed together can beam light into a gulf of differences. I'm no good with my hands, and no good with instructions. Haley's no good at governing her irritations. She talks to me like I'm an inept child. I'm oversensitive and defensive. I cut and condense my every response. Silence descends. She hates silences. When they come, she hums, which irks me. We don't shout. Never in seven years. When things get bad, they go subterranean and simmer, waiting for one of us, with a great effort, to check if the other is ready to quit carrying on. We need an offering. Where did this come from? The Polaroid. It won't be quite enough, but we move toward each other, close enough that I can smell her hair, sweet like coconut cake. We inspect the photo briefly, and then we briefly inspect each other. God, we were so damn young. It's the first thing we've agreed on today. We must have looked like kids the night we kissed, in Queensland, at a folk festival, on a dirty couch behind a juice bar. 2013 was closing in a swelter, days so humid a wet gloss leached from every living thing. But we looked alive, bright-eyed, in bloom. Haley's friend, I could see, was conspiring a private moment for us. We kept straight faces as she ushered people away, herding them inside a large cool room by the juice bar, where volunteers hid from the heat. I was twenty-three, free, careless, and relatively confident, but the path of getting my lips close to Haley's seemed suddenly arduous and awkward. Bass from a stage beyond sight throbbed through the earth, travelling up the bones of my sweating feet. Haley was floating questions on top of questions, leaving hundreds of words hanging in the muggy night. I didn't realise she was nervous, I thought she was articulate, well-mannered, and that it was appropriate then to touch my hand just once on her arm, conversationally so. She was wearing a loose burgundy dress that flowed around our legs, and our shins were lightly touching. One of my legs was sticky with pineapple concentrate, and I could smell it each time I breathed. I wasn't sure whether to increase the pressure of this leg slightly, and risk tacking her to me with the dried syrup, or to try and sustain eye contact. I suppose I'd never been one for convention, the long gaze and the slow, forward lean. In the end, when our conversation hit a lull, I decided to flat out ask her if we could kiss, and she said yes, and we both sat back, delighted. This slump took a day or two to dip into. In a choice between a room with built-in cupboards and a room with no built-in cupboards, we have finally chosen the room with built-in cupboards. I like the fact that the cupboards save us looking for more furniture. Hayley thinks they're too large, and that the trim on the doors is naff, by which she means old-fashioned. They're a generous size, that's true, and we're left with fewer possibilities for the way things might be positioned. Nevertheless, I suggest that once we get the bed together, we ought to place it in a north-south direction. It's best that way. Pass me slat two, she replies. The bed we share is beautifully made, handcrafted to slot simply together without brackets or screws. But we are its second owners, and over time the dowels have been pushed out of line. North-south. I don't get it. What's the reasoning? She watches me pick up the next plank. Number two. Two. Yep. No, no, the other way around. Nothing seems to line up and fit its proper hole. Yet on the other side of the frame, Haley is managing better. Legs crossed tidily beneath her, she has to wait for me at each step. In the silence, she begins to hum a Julia Jacklin tune we both adore, though not quite the way it goes. Why, she says again. Magnetics, I grunt, pushing hard on a dowel. Magnetic pull of the planet. Navajo thing. Don't do that. Don't. You'll break it. Get the hammer and tap it lightly. Down the hall, another couple, old friends of ours, chat amicably to each other. Until I take the hammer and gently tap, there is no noise save the sound of their merriment. Slat three. Navajo thing, I say again. Handing her the plank. Widely adopted and peer-reviewed. Well, it won't fit north-south. There'd not be enough space between the side of the bed and the massive cupboards. She leaves a faint pause between massive and cupboards, where the word fucking might fit. I lean out on my haunches and pause, pondering the space, extending an imaginary tape measure. There's plenty of space. We've been sleeping east-west for the past year and you haven't said anything. We didn't have the option. There were the doors. Remember the doors? We couldn't sleep with our heads to the glass doors. She pauses, and we breathe quietly, supping up the taste of sealant drying in a crack somewhere. It's possible I have her here. In the interim, I try to make sense of the North-South thing myself. Well, I've never heard anything about North-South before, she says. Where did you get that from? Your dad? Yes. But I was now busy, in focus again, manoeuvring the following slat into its hole. Contriving a sentence that might suggest she was stubborn, like her mother, or narrow minded, like her father, but unfortunately neither of them fit the bill. Over time, our arguments have come to invoke each other's parents with increasing frequency. We render the other's shortcomings in terms of destiny, beyond their powers of perception. There's something bittersweet in marking our differences. In the end, we are not one, but a rather rigid two. From your dad, she says again, raising her eyebrows. Can't remember. Kind of
2: sensory
1: memory deep below
2: the conscious. Mind you, I can be on my own. I'm an only child. I like my company. Part around, make another party. Tea for two is when you come home. We sit and eat breakfast eggs with soldier toast. joy to your slim dusty
1: Picture 500 acres of gum trees and animals and meadows grassy green. For 20 days before the night we kissed, we'd been camping on the festival's land in serenity. By the morning of the festival, a village of cafes, bars and stages had been built. Then the punters came, a hundred thousand, charging from the shade after sunset in a throng that felt, we said, like an invasion. We were on the couch together, drawing out that word in broad tones and giggling. Her laugh bubbly and high-pitched, was the nicest thing I'd heard. In the peachy twilight, we got off the couch together and shuffled out into the rush. The scope of humanity was vast. Pensioners spanned maps around, trying to bring order to the carnival, while children sailed through the dusty parade of legs. We felt as giddy as the kids as we wound our way over a bridge and behind a pond to a stage tucked beneath a concave hillside. As a 12-piece band tuned up, we sat on the hill and talked of the coming year. Haley would start her last year of fine arts, in which ceramics would assume her focus. I'd recently finished university and was now working on a novel I'd started there. It was a coming-of-age tale. Usually, that's all I'd say. I was very private about it. But there in the dark heat, among the groan of cicadas, our conversation turned from the future to the past, Suddenly I was reeling back through time, to a warm night when I was nineteen and stumbling into the early hours of morning. Between parties, under dim streetlights, I came by a man lying next to the footpath. He was a fat ball of denim, curled fetus-like on the nature strip. I tried to stir him, spoke urgently into his face. He was, to my relief, not dead, but very lightly snoring, a whine barely perceptible beneath the chorus of cicadas. I tried to get him on his feet and headed home and crouched there for a few minutes, rocking him with my hand while he slobbered. Nothing woke him. I patted the guy down, got my fingers into his tight little pockets, found his phone. Perhaps it was a good idea to get a hold of one of his friends. They would come and grab him, dust him off, plop him into bed. I slid open his phone and saw him there in the wallpaper of his screen, half naked, snapping off a picture of himself in the mirror. Then I stood up. Looked around, pocketed his phone, and walked off into the night. We work into the evening, calmly and responsibly, with not a flicker of emotion. The bed lies east-west. It's made up nicely with the linen pillowcases Hayley had requested for Christmas. Now we are to wipe out our drawers, unpack our clothes into them, and hang those that ought to be hung. From one of her clothes bags, the smell of naphthalene, a moth repellent, rises noxiously. It smells like the grandmother I never had and don't want. Quietly, I go to an old shoebox of mine where there might be some incense. There isn't. Instead, I come across that old Nokia phone. I used the thing for three years and have already transferred hundreds of its treasured photos to my hard drive. It doesn't work. There's no reason for me to keep it. I stare at the phone for a while and then decide to show it to Haley. Whoa, I say, picking it up she barely glances. I say, Jesus. Still nothing. She's folding a pair of undies into halves and then quarters and I have to dance the phone, jiggling it in my hand to get her to look. What, she says. I hold it still. She raises her brow. What? I make a few silly noises and bounce my eyebrows around, attempting to elicit a response, but any interest she did have is draining by the second. I realise I don't really want to repeat the story, but it's too late. I've begun. She says, what is it? Remember the first night of Woodford? No, I don't. Which year? True, we'd been back since. I say, the night we got together. She frowns. You found that that night? No, really? No, no I didn't find it. I start the story, and it doesn't take her long to catch on. "Ah, oh, I know what you did. Yeah, it's cool, she interrupts. I don't know I'd have liked you back then. She spins away and picks up another shirt to fold. Air rushes from the room, and in the vacuum, blood draining out of my face, I stand there and envision walking out, hopping into my van, and driving off into the bush for a few days. Better yet, the coast, an isolated stretch of beaches with an array of waves. When the blood comes surging back, it's with a tide of shame. I give the phone one last squeeze and drop it back into the box, where it will remain as an artefact of a darker age and as a token of change. I move towards the window, its blinds covered in dust. This place should have been cleaned proper before we came. In the silence, Haley walks away. I watch her purple socks bounce over the bed and stop by my box of stuff. What else have you got in here? Seventy euros, yet another disused phone, pens, highlighters, all the old love letters. Oh god, she says, look how many I wrote. She sits on the floor. The only sound in the room is the soft shuffle and scrape of papers. If there is an odd birthday or Christmas card in the stack, they are exceptions among dateless, random expressions of love given out across the years. Many of the letters are inside envelopes on which she'd carefully drawn or painted. Some are on fine, silk-coated paper. One is on a crumpled paper bag. Most of them are postcards. A Brett Whiteley painting in a Bill Henson photo and one of Bill Murray in a banana chair. Another shows the top of the Golden Gate Bridge emerging from thick fog which she'd given me at Oakland Airport after five months living in a van together. As I try to recall why we'd flown separately home, and she holds them there above the shoebox where my phone hides, I see that the letters address varying versions of myself, perhaps a barely perceptible range, but cells that are different because they have changed and grown, amended by the benefit of her company. I continue playing with the cord of the blinds. Haley sits cross-legged, straight-backed, examining the illustrations without reading anything. She appears lost in thought. I can see her lips moving ever so slightly, and it's possible, as sometimes happens, that our thoughts are roughly in sync. I watch her pick at a bent corner of paper and gently run her fingernail down the edge of the page. Then her eyes refocus, as if from a daydream, and she starts unfolding a rectangle of paper in her hand. When it's almost open, she pauses and blushes. She starts to backtrack. It's the sweetest thing. Then she quickly looks up, as if to catch me, but I'm too fast. I've already stifled my smile and looked away, and now I'm wiping my finger over an imaginary blemish on a dusty length of blind, carrying on.
3: When babies are born, mammals are naturally, naturally feed via the breast and breast milk is the ultimate food for human babies and so much so that it is, it's a learned skill but it is also instinctual.
0: This is the voice of Louis Skadooby who used to be a midwife, a nurse, and now teaches mothers about babies and how to care for them.
3: And so babies, once they're born, make their way, given the chance, actually make their way to the breast. And if you're given time in a natural birth and place a baby on a mother's abdomen, it will crawl up to the breast and find the nipple and get a fist and push the breast into its mouth. It's just incredible, but you need to have time to do that. And in modern society, often the baby is whipped away to towel dry and weigh and but given a natural birth and time, a baby will naturally do that and the reason that it is so important it's like a circular feedback system so the hormones once the nipple is stimulated this feedback mechanism with the brain and the hormones and the uterus the whole thing is connected that the milk production starts and the first few days of the breast milk is very different to what it is later on. And so the first part is called colostrum and it's the perfect food for this first few days of a baby's life. And it changes not only in consistency, but in amounts, and that also is a feedback mechanism milk is made up of is still being discovered and one thing recently they discovered was um, that the whole gut bacteria of a baby is is pure to begin with and then once the baby is introduced to the world and born it needs bacteria in its stomach to develop but what they have discovered is that different mothers have a different consistency of that bacteria and so in some cultures one baby is fed by many women so they might be all lactating and for a number of reasons many mothers feed one baby. And so it has, um, it has a few effects. So one is keeping their fertility at bay, because again, that is a feedback mechanism. So um, hormonally, if you are breastfeeding, you won't get pregnant, but if you feed to a schedule, as opposed to demand feeding, the hormones can drop and you can ovulate and get pregnant. So to avoid that, A lot of cultures will feed more babies to keep their fertility down. But as well as that that bacteria, I think it's like something like one in six women they've discovered have this certain bacteria that is fantastic for a baby's gut and health. It's just incredible that this far down in society, this far forward, we're still discovering all these amazing qualities of breast milk. So that's what I find incredibly interesting, and it's free, and it's it's just there, and it's um, available to everybody. That's not saying though that it's not an easy or a both baby and mother. Ha- it is a learned thing. It's not just a natural thing that is a given. It is for some people, but for some people, it is very difficult to start. And when it is difficult, a lot of people do give up because they want to make sure it comes from a good place. They want to make sure their baby's getting well fed and well nourished. And if they don't know because it's not measurable, like a bottle, then they will bottle feed. And also support is really, really important. So like physical support, like having someone come and cook you some food and just take the baby for a little while if it's crying and just support you physically and emotionally so you can just rest and produce milk and be comfortable feeding. In royal families, they would have a wet nurse so the mother wouldn't feed She would employ a nanny, and that nanny would breastfeed the baby. I suppose that was before formula. So it's quite interesting how now we would be in our Western society. I can't imagine going to a playgroup or a mother's group and having mothers feed other, you know, we're very removed from what other cultures and what we've done historically. Is it? Really? Lepressant? Yeah, Preston.
0: Go between the two. Mm. You've become the conduit don't you?
1: Flying banking, it's just hovering. It almost looks like a drone, just moving its plane. But you think it looks like a drone? It's very close to us.
0: Wow, that's very that's astute. I said, why don't we get together and call ourselves an institute? <laughs> You don't feel you
4: could love me, but I
0: feel you could. Don't
4: oh, feel you could love me, but I do. Ooh, do do do
0: do 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 do. Sing it. Do do do
4: do do do,
2: do, do, do. Oh,
4: look at that big golf tee. It's like
5: God, God tees
1: God's off. off. God's <laughs> teeing off. Research station,
4: New <laughs> Beach, don't freak out. <laughs> Stopped using it. I see, I It's probably going to most my mind yes. about the history of my life.
3: Yes, <laughs> that one.
4: Yeah. <laughs> why? Going from sunscreen to good and you always use it to yeah. almost never use it. <laughs> oh,
0: what so changed really your mind?
5: Listening to some
4: people talk about what it is and what it does and yeah, cool. other reasons why we might actually burn. Um, and how to prevent it like definitely not proven but there's a theory that um, our diets have increased so much our intake of hydrogenated vegetable oils like the industrial like corn oil vegetable oil canola oil all that all that shitty stuff that is industrial those oil molecules literally become our skin molecules like the That is the building blocks of us. Uh And because those oils oxidize, the way they break down, the molecules break down in a similar way once they become us. And when UV light hits them, more effectively what about olive oil um, olive oil is apparently still pretty good but not necessarily there's a theory that
0: not as good as animal fat
4: well i think olive oil is okay but there's a theory that we shouldn't be cooking actually, actually it's only a um even though it seems like a traditional greek and italian thing to cook with olive oil it's actually only like a generation old and like when our grandparents' grandparents were alive, mm-hmm. everyone just picked the glass and you'd just, like have all the oil and salad but it would never be difficult. Yeah. In quality. fact, yeah. and it's only since the end of World War II really that the, um, there's been a whole movement you with know, all the oil in, and get the technical diamonds and, and the gold.
2: An excerpt from It by Inga Christensen. Water steps. Stone skies. Wind houses. Air cellars. Rain hot. Sand bodies Cliff mouths River stomachs Ice sexes Snow lungs Cold brains Cloud fingers Earth eyes, heartache.
0: The word symbiosis was first used to describe lichen. The relationship between the cooperation of algae and fungi. It means two or more things benefiting from living together. When you see chalky, whitish green stuff on the pavement, this is lichen. Lichen isn't one living thing, it's two things. It's algae growing within a structure of several types of fungi. Fungi. Can't make its own sugars. The algae can. It converts the sun's energy into simple sugars. It exchanges this with the fungi. The fungi mines minerals from the rocks and gives it to the plant, as well as moisture. When you see lichen growing in strange places, like cracks between concrete, you're witnessing an ancient and very important process. You're watching soil being made. When the lichen drops its organic matter on the concrete, this slowly creates an environment where water can be stored, where roots can grow. Soil starts to form. Concrete is seen as a permanent material. Humans attempt to create a lasting structure. And for me, it represents a place outside of nature. But if left long enough, the lichens would create enough soil to support plant growth, and eventually a forest, grown right on top of the concrete. These things we walk past and hardly see. Look at these old, old living things, teaching us about friendship, and how we all benefit by sharing. that's it thanks for listening subscribe and share it round if you liked it and if you'd like to get in touch you can do it on our Instagram or email at waxlyricalfbi at gmail.com until next time lots of love
5: En lejos me estoy del suelo donde nacíro. Intensa nostalgia invadirá in mi pensamiento. Al verme tan solo y triste, aloja el viento quisieran llorar quisieran morir de sentimiento no cierran el sol Aura oh, am